0: Hey, Dennis, how are you after such an exciting US Open? Two weeks of amazing tennis ended in possibly the best possible way, I would say, with Alcaraz winning the title on the men's side, becoming world number one, the youngest world number one ever, uh, broke some records, played the most tennis anyone has ever played over a Grand Slam, 23 hours and 39 minutes, if I remember correctly. Uh, And I'm super impressed, as everyone seems to be. Uh, What are your thoughts about uh, the final and, and his journey?
1: Hi, Jonas. Yes, first of all, I'm tired. <laughs> I haven't I haven't really slept in the in the few uh, last few days. I, I watched the um, apart from the final set. I watched the Akaraz DFO uh, and I watched the final yesterday as well. Um, and and yeah, great. I mean, I'm I'm a massive fan. I I love Acaraz. I think what he brings to to tennis is. I mean, we we touched him in in a few episodes before and. And, you know, what he brings to the game is absolutely ridiculous. I think the the guy, like, the movement is – I've never seen anyone move on a hard court like he does. Like, what I can compare it to is how Rafa in his prime moved on clay. That, you know, he slides into every shot. Like, I know, I know, like, Novak is amazing. But, like, that is that kid is just something special. I've been saying it for the last year since – since he really broke onto the scene and uh, and you know he won the next jam and all that that this kid is something else and he he has a, a grand slam final show for it and you know what? i i yeah we don't know it's just an assumption but i think he would have still won it if novak was was within within reach as well cuz it's great to see that tennis is in good hands
0: yeah i think so too and i think uh, we talked about it a bit before that the outcome of this match I mean, I, I really appreciate Rude as a player. I think he also played an amazing tournament. I mean, the way he played in the final it was very impressive. I actually thought that he could win the match for a while, uh, and and I'm a big Alcaraz fan. But at the end, in the end, you know, Alcaraz was too strong, and I think Rude will really regret that tiebreak in the third set because then he kind of fell off a bit and wasn't at the level he's been playing for the for the other part of the match, kind of or at least the first two sets.
1: What made the difference in the fourth set was uh, Alcaraz's serve. Like I don't know where he found the Karlovic in him, but he hit like eight aces or something ridiculous, and he served it out like so comfortably. Again, I would have been fairly happy if Rude would have won it. Obviously, set points for the third set, and uh, and Akaraz was just you know hanging by a thread. It was it was really 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 tough. But what really made the difference is that Rude. He just did his thing, but he never re- truly believed that he can beat Carlos. And even when Carlos was, was playing sort of by his standards, mediocre by, by every other human being, apart from the top 10 in the world, uh, brilliant. In the second set, I think you know he was just drop shotting and and he was he was hitting the. It, it was just a weird weird thing, and everyone was talking about fatigue and 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 what he's doing and all that. That was the first time I, I've seen three or four of his matches like full almost full, and and I felt like not even the fifth set against DFO, not even the fifth set against Sinner, he didn't look that bad as in the second set and then like the majority of the third set, but yeah. I would have been really happy if, if in a way, if Rude won. But I am a massive Carlos fan, and and I think what he's doing is is great for tennis. Rude is twenty three, so he's still really really young, and now he's into two Grand Slams, so he can be like a silent assassin. But yeah, I think I think these three guys, maybe with Sinner, or you know, there's like Musetti. There's like quite a few interesting players. Obviously, Shapovalov, and and you know, there's. There's, there's quite a few guys who are so much fun to watch. And Sinner is is getting to the stage where he is really, really good to watch as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think Rude has improved quite a bit. So I was just a bit worried for tennis because I think the storyline with Alcaraz, he seems to draw much more excitement to him. And that's not at the fault of Rude, but it's just how exciting this guy is. He moves so dynamically. He's so fast around the court. He hits so many winners uh, spectacular shots in a match it's just something that sells tennis and if i look at it from a broad point of view that what's good for tennis i would say the Alcaraz win was the best outcome for tennis not saying that that rude would have been a disaster but I, i still think like this guy will help the sport grow and will sell tickets for many years to come with the way he plays
1: Oh absolutely and and you know what 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 I was actually thinking and and uh, I wanted to make the comparison with Monfils, is that like I I remember like 10 years ago when Monfils started sliding on the hard court everyone was absolutely ridiculed by it cuz like Monfils is a brilliant player and and what he achieved is absolutely an underachievement cuz he he should have and could have won I don't know, three, four, four slams with his talent and, and his movement. And, and, you know, I don't really see much fault in his game, but somehow the mental element is not there, but like when you, when you see the full on approach and attacking tennis is always a lot more fun to watch. Carlos went um, like to the net rushed the net, like, I don't know, almost 50 times. And he, he won 85% of the points and and yeah we we will talk so the, one of the one of the topics what we mentioned before we started uh, the recording is that we will talk about the marketing side of of tennis and, and definitely that that is something which which i was also thinking about yesterday evening that nike really has to start making the the own collection for carlos now because he is just playing in these like you know the same same outfit as tfo was wearing the same outfit as as uh, Uh, Rublev was wearing so you know this kid deserves something special already and and if if Shapovalov and Dimitrov can have their own line of of clothing then then Carlos Alcaraz deserves it a, a million times more and and you know no offense meant and and obviously Shapovalov is one of my favorites but you know in in the last year he wasn't he wasn't anything spectacular.
0: I didn't even know that uh, Chapo had his own collection, kind of from Nike, but uh, might be true. I know that Dimitri had some pretty fugly kits in the past, where that looked like pajamas and stuff like that. I think definitely Carlos def- deserves uh, a proper apparel collection, and I think Nike are very happy. I mean, if you, I saw on Instagram in Barcelona, they already have this huge billboard Nike with Carlos. I mean, they already prepared it, of course. Uh, a huge one, and just to celebrate the victory, and they get the brand out. I mean, obviously, they were maybe worried. No Roger. Then, I mean, he obviously switched to Uniqlo, but then they have Rafa. Rafa, injury-prone, not sure how long he's going to keep playing. And suddenly, they have this guy now. So, they like it feels like they're in safe hands in tennis because I've had a feeling that Nike was, and probably rightfully so, drifting away from tennis a bit. They've been going into more, I mean, obviously, basketball sports that are bit stronger than tennis uh, but this guy can obviously sell more tickets and more shoes and more shirts and so on
1: chapo's stuff is is always a bit different than the other guys so i think he he has a sort of um, uh, has his own say on on what he is uh, what he's wearing and it's kind of lucky as well because i think they they signed him like two years ago uh from lotto so Carlos was playing in Lotto, and that was that was brilliant, wasn't it? And and there's a there was a picture uh, from Carlos at the age of like six or something which just uh, emerged yesterday, and he was uh, he was using a Speed MB. Uh, maybe he was ten. I don't know. He was young, definitely. I mean, he's still young. He's still nineteen, but uh, he he was using Head, and now they just uh, found the Aero VS as as a as a perfect record for him. And you said that that's the best out of the VS collection, isn't it? The Aero VS. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it depends on the player. I mean, like if you want control and an old school feel, you go pure strike VS. You want power, you go pure drive VS. Not a huge fan of the feeling of that racket. I think it needs an upgrade. Uh, and if you want the more spin oriented, fast swing stuff like Alcaraz does, you want the Aero VS, which I think is the most kind of versatile frame of the ones Uh, offered on from the VS line. But he was playing with the Pure Arrow like some years back and then he went to this one. It feels like it's almost custom made for him and uh, I think he's going to be the signature guy for this model now. I mean, Holger Rune also plays this but I I think he will be the signature guy for this racket now for for years to come and they will sell loads of this frame. I, I get questions from pros on Instagram, from recreational players, club players, whatever, you know, about this frame and about his racket and, you know, so I think this one will be a a bestseller if it's not already a big bestseller
1: yeah i think what um what babbler i mean babbler is just how they built up the brand is is absolutely brilliant they you know all the tennis nerds know that they obviously started off as as um as a natural gut uh strength provider and and then they started making grips and then they started making all these accessories and all that and then then they basically bought the uh the mold from Procanics and that's how they built up the first soft drive and pure drive and, um, and how they built up the brand. And they were pretty lucky with Moya. I think that that Moya was, was eager to, to just try something new. And, and since then, I mean, hats off. It's, Absolutely unbelievable in in terms of the marketing and, and sponsoring and all that. They they never had so many names, so they never had the same sort of amount of players as as like Wilson or Head. But the the core players, and obviously they were lucky with with Rafa, that Rafa became like you know 22 time Grand Slam winner and all that. But I think how how they actually approached the whole sponsorship and and how they they went about their business is is brilliant what i feel about like head is that i think they they have too many records too many choices too too much to choose from and that's that is better in in terms of wilson and Babolat. that you you have three lines i mean obviously wilson has uh maybe four or five yeah they, uh, have, like they have four if you look at uh head i think it's just a bit too many but yeah back to back to Babolat, they're really really lucky with him and, I, you know, almost three top teners, two at least. I think Felix is now out of the top ten, but he is using their VS, although with the Purero um, paint job.
0: Yeah, I mean, what they did well, uh, besides obviously they created rackets that was... You know, in the right time, yeah. They made rackets that had good power and good spin, and the game was moving in that direction. You know, and still quite stiff rackets, so some elbows are hurting out there. Uh, but they're obviously easy to use, fun to use, and they're they're very good rackets. And I think um what they did early was that they went to colleges in the states. They they found like this distribution channels that were that were quite clever. Like they, oh, you know, college players need to play with Babolat. I mean, if you go to American college tennis you will see many many bubble lots. like they have such a strong presence there and i think they have in latin america just a massive impact partly like a Rafa effect but also if you look at uh, how they work with latin american market i think it's there's so many you know clay quarters there that play with with bubble lots. so uh, kudos to them for for this marketing strategy um and and for the products they and they do good marketing when they when they, they keep pushing it. And uh, the, the issue, like you said, which I said many times and I agree hundred percent is that it's too much choice in the market overall. So just working with three lines of rackets or, or four is a good idea. I mean, Dunlop does it well, you have Yonex, they have Babala. they they all keep it pretty simple. I think there's a benefit to head's model in terms of sales, but maybe not for the consumer in such a way. I mean, it might be confusing for the consumer. On the other hand, if you want a very specific specification and you know exactly what you want, then that could be a benefit because you can actually find, you know, I want this, but with this more, uh, then there's the choice is good, but most consumers Buying tennis rackets, which I'm known for experience uh, in many years doing this, is they'd have no idea really what they want, and there's too much on the market, so they don't really know what to go for. Uh, And in with with golf, you have these sessions where you can get like your your clubs, you know, tailored to you, when some pro can look at your game and say, "Hey, oh, your swing, you need something very simple to use or something light." And in tennis, we don't have that. You go to a store, you buy a racket, and that's it.
1: Yeah, in a way. But, you know, you, you also have the coaches and and apart from a few exceptions, I, I feel like the coaches don't really know what they're talking about. And because of that, they just, you know, they're sponsored, obviously, by one of the brands and they have they, they want to sell the record and they're, they're acting like sort of a, um, you know, a working salesman and, and, and like a, a, a remote salesman for the brand. And they don't even know if that that racket will work. But, you know, they like, yeah, I really like the, the feel of the blade and I think it will be great for you. And and, you know, that's that's the problem. And that's why that's why in a way it would be a lot better to have a lot of services like what you also offer that, you know, you you actually do talk about like what what can be what can be done. When I was working in Wigmore Sports, that was the same for me. Um, like I didn't know what I what I was selling in the beginning because you know I, I obviously I was a pretty okay tennis player but you know I, I was playing with something which I, I like the colors of and it was actually a good record because I was playing with pure Rodic. When I uh, actually learned about the, the swing weight and you know what the balance does and, and what the different uh, uh, string patterns do and, and all this and that it's it's actually good that you can you can demo them and, and you can you can go here and there. And and with that, the social media definitely helps because because you can just go up, ask questions. Uh, you know, you have your the one of the biggest um, like nerdy tennis nerdy uh, group is is your is your tennis nerd group. So so shout out for that, and and obviously that is that is a big help for the guys. You know, who actually joins that? They they do have a bit of bit of understanding of tennis rackets. Uh, but and you know you have the forums, you have like the Tennis Warehouse forum, and where where people are are absolutely crazy about their rackets, and they know so much, like even the head head coats and and like the pro stock coats. It's a big shame that people are choosing in a way rackets by their looks as well as as um, because you know Rafa uses it or or now Carlos uses it, but. With Babela, it's quite lucky because Babylon is, is a record which can be used by most people. Yes, they cause some elbow pain, if if it's not used right, or if it's too too light sometimes, or or if they if they play full poly. So that definitely doesn't help. But you know, that's why that's why you need you need more services like these pro shops, which are not really current in, in Europe. Obviously, there's quite a few pro shops in the States. I, I don't really know the States, uh, how, how they actually do go about it. But I know that in, in Europe, it definitely needs some improvement.
0: So, I mean, there's more information in every aspect of, of everything, really, thanks to YouTube and thanks to the Internet. So I think people are can be more informed if they take the time. The uh, problem is people are usually quite lazy, so they just want to find an answer. And, and they just ask someone instead of, of just trying to dig a bit deeper and to find what... What could work for them and so on, but obviously there's it's a jungle out there. So that's really why I did the consultation service and and that stuff because I uh, people want kind of personal help or they want a more a, a more structured approach to this content, not just watch one video here and there. They want more structure. So and that's that's what I'm working on at, at the moment to create a more structure around it. And, and you uh, might be going back to the tennis industry, as far as I know, right? So you're you're looking into that.
1: Yeah, definitely. But I don't really want to jinx it. So I'm not going to say much about it. I have been working on um, this project for quite a bit now. Before we relocated to the UK, I was uh, I was working with with quite a few brands. Obviously, I I have been talking about heads that I was the brand manager of them and of the tennis uh, department and and then I then I went to, to work for, for quite a few brands but more like distributors because obviously Hungary is quite a small distribution center sorry distribution um, network and because of that you know I, I was I was working with um, you know vocal and, and K Swiss and Prince and, and and quite a few brands. So I, I do have uh, a knowledge of the brands and, and you know obviously it, it was great to, to even go deeper and see, see what can be done. And now I just finished the uni, which which I was just mentioning that I, I did the dissertation. And that was quite interesting. And and I think you, I mean, I interviewed you. So that, was, very that was good fun. It was really, it was it was actually really fun. And I know that you liked it as well. We wanted to talk about just a little bit of, of the micro brands. We, we touched quite a few, but um, I had, uh, and we touched Castor, I think, um, in one of the previous um Chats, what we had as well but what I wanted to just say about them is that their uh, sponsorship um, tactics are pretty similar to Babolat's in terms of like they were lucky with uh, with Murray so obviously because of, of Andy Murray they, they like everyone in the UK now knows the brand and then they started sponsoring the LTA uh, which is the British Tennis Federation. And, and now they are just trying to um, be a, a more of a general sports brand rather than, than focusing on one sport, which is a questionable thing um, in my, my opinion. So, it's, it's, I mean, there's not a right or a wrong answer. You know, they, they have a massive money injection behind them uh, with um, the owners of, of ASDA. Uh, they, they just injected some money and, and because of that, it made it a lot easier for them to, uh, to, start, to, to start basically sponsoring uh, football teams and, and, and all that. But it's an interesting project and I, and I really like to talk about it because I think it's, it's something uh, which is happening right like in front of our eyes. That like a brand which was non-existent, nonexistent like five years ago. It's just everywhere now. And, and it's, it's quite fascinating. And I mean, I'm, I, I love marketing. So for me, it's, it's really great to, to see the different methods and, and how they go about this whole thing. Unfortunately, the listeners cannot see, but you have a Fury uh, shirt on, uh, which is a great micro brand now in, in tennis rackets. And you just love their 98, don't you?
0: Yeah, it's very good. So very good so far, uh, and I've, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm impressed when when small brands come up with something. I mean, having worked in marketing for twenty years or so, uh, I, I I always like following uh, what happens in the marketplace. And like you said, with a new brand, uh, you can do so much. They, I mean, but you need the the sponsor, like you need a, a proper sponsorship budget. So you probably need some capital from some serious investors. But then, if you have that, you can make something happen very quickly. Uh, which is very different from how it worked in the past. Like now you can take a brand from like zero to a hundred in, in like five years. Like you said, with Castorio, if you do the proper strategy, find the right you know guy to sponsor, and then you can together grow the brand. I mean, Mari is, is a co-owner of uh, Castor, as we talked about before. We saw the guy who did Gymshark. It's a brand that came kind of out of nowhere. And then everybody that goes to the gym, they now wear gym Shark pretty much. You see it everywhere. And that's interesting. So you can actually create an apparel brand and and make some waves in the market. I think it's much tougher if we talk about tennis to create a racket brand, but that's such a difficult thing because people are so used to seeing and buying what the pros use. So getting your racket in the hands of a pro, yeah, you need the same kind of budget, but you're not going to get the same kind of rewards because Castor, they can sell apparel for other sports they can sell golf apparel they can sell this they just need their brand to grow but for a tennis brand that sells strings or rackets they need to be quite aggressive and it's tougher with their margins so I can understand that even these smaller brands it's tough for them to to grow in the way you can with a clothing brand
1: I think personally that um, without a sponsored athlete in the top 50 as a tennis racket brand, no one's gonna know you. And that's a shame because obviously, you know, you and I, we, we can like name eight to 10 different smaller brands, um, which, which are there, which make brilliant records, um, you know, and, and, and I spoke to um, Ricardo um, Rocha as well, who's, who's uh, the, the uh, CEO of Dacor, which is, which is a really interesting Portuguese uh, niche record brand. Uh, they they do some some gear as well. Um, they, he's focusing on that, but he I, I spoke to him about sponsorship, and, and he sh- he sh- he just said that he doesn't actually like it. He he doesn't want to he doesn't want to have the brand as a as a sponsoring brand. He finds different ways of of raising brand awareness. Time will tell if if it works. Um, I mean, as as we all are, we're just wishing everyone the best. And and I think you know like. Like we, we have um, two interesting brands in, in Down Under as well with Hazel and, and, uh, uh, and 10X. Uh, so so there, there's quite a few and, and they're really in records and all of them are, are good for different reasons. I mean, you know, we, we are talking about pretty much the same thing as like, like, like the materials, what, what, they, what they used for the last 30 years pretty much. But I think you need sponsorship. Without sponsorship and without a big name signing, look at ProkenX. Like no one really knows that brand. And it was one of the biggest brands uh, in, in the 80s. And, you know, basically only Andrea Seppi plays with that. But if, if you look at like Volkl, uh, which, which is one of the biggest uh, ski brands as well, and they make brilliant, brilliant tennis rackets, um, only a handful of players like uh, Julien, uh, Jean-Julien, Roger, uh, played with that one and and he's not going to be a household name he's he was a um, um you know an ex world number one in doubles i think he was but made definitely top five and and he he won multiple grand slams but it's one thing that he has uh, a vocal in his hand but another thing is is like if you look at the top 10 in the men's game now technifiber is there which is great but apart from that it's it's, Yonex, it's um, obviously babble at Wilson and head that's that's it and and it's really really tough to get in there
0: i think technifiber did a great job and we and relating back to technifiber we can continue the racket brand discussions and the branding in general uh, afterwards but but igar sviontek she she won the women's final it was a good final uh, one of those matches i i thought would have benefited from playing more sets because i think like you don't have enough room for a storyline i've talked about that before and uh, I think Ons would agree with me that she would have liked to have one more shot at beating Svontek, but for the women, it would be interesting to see them play five sets from the quarterfinals or something like that. I mean, at least they as a trial. They have done
1: it, haven't they? I think in the 90s or or maybe in the in the late 80s or early 90s, they they had that format with like Steffi Graf and and a few of the ladies. I think they they played like in the semis and finals. My, might be right, actually. Sets. Yeah, yeah. I,
0: I don't I don't remember that 100. percent But I think it will. I'm not 100 either,
1: either. But I think
0: yeah. So the so the women's uh, final Svontek showing strength, really, I must say. I was impressed by how she played not the best tennis in her life, and I think even Alcaraz didn't play his best tennis in this tournament, but good enough, strong enough, and a uh, true champion in, in the most important moments. And you have to feel for Ons who was uh, getting closer in the second set, but couldn't quite get over the finish line and played a pretty bad tiebreak. And uh, yeah, she was pretty, you know, destroyed afterwards. I mean, there will be more chances for her, I'm sure. Uh, But if we get into that brand situation, now we have Iga, she made a pretty gutsy move from Prince, which has very little sponsorship, only John Isner left, I think, on on the tours. And she went to Technifiber, obviously got a good deal there, and uh, Technifiber, they're doing really well. They have Medvedev, they have Shiontech, they have Salisbury. Yeah, they have a, quite a few player at least maritons, I think. Uh, so they are, they are doing well, but still, it will take time for them to be a, a proper super player. But they're doing uh, everything to get there. I think.
1: I think they're really close. But let's let's start with congratulating Iga. Uh, unbelievable tournament. She was really close of of uh, losing against Niemeyer. Actually, I mean, you know, it, it wasn't that close, but it, it could have happened. Uh, she lost the first set, and in the second set, she was struggling big time. I should have stayed with my with my pick for Iga. <laughs> you should. I, I would have been. I would have been uh, glorious. Now I was. I was really surprised on on how easily Garcia lost to Jabour. I have to admit, uh, and she pulled off uh, a curious as well because, uh, <laughs> um, like Garcia and Ljubotovic, lost in the doubles, and that was the same thing for Kyrgios and Kokinakis. And then they both lost in the singles as well. So it was it was quite an interesting sort of script written. But yeah, so Shontec, I've seen bits and bobs of the final, but I haven't seen the the whole entirety of of the of the match. I feel Iga is just a level above everyone else at the moment um, in in terms of of how how the psychological and 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 how she can actually build herself up to. To this unbelievable uh, performer, and um, and yeah, I think I think she she can win a lot of Grand Slams. I mean, she has a dominance on clay as like Rafa, and I feel like she is absolutely complete with everything what she does now. So she she has a lot of weapons. Um, she plays an all around game, and she's just she's just quick. Off of the mark, as well as I mean, apart from that jumping jack, what she does at the net when she hits a bad, bad um, drop shot, and she's just trying to distract the, the opponent. And yeah, I I think I think it's it's well deserved. I really do think so. Her year was was really really good. And yeah, I think she can she can rule for for many years. And and that's the same for for Carlos. Although Carlos will be facing stern tests by Sinner. Uh, Sinner is like. Uh, Kryptonite, I think, for, for Akira so far, because no one could really touch Akira that much as Sinner in the last four matches. And about like Technifiber, yeah, I think uh, what they're doing, and they're building the brand brilliantly, I mean, obviously they were bought by Lacoste, and um, and the, um, the collab, what they're doing is brilliant. I really like collabs. I think that collaborations are just, just a really, really good thing. And what Hydrogen and Prince did was, was also pretty exciting, although the, the records are like ugly as, as heck. I think they're just like, you know, I, I don't mind tattoos, but that's just over the top. But yeah, I, I think Technifiber is, you know, we were talking about the big four in terms of record brands as well, but Technifiber is now knocking on the door big time.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I think so. I think it will take a, a while. I think they're all having pretty good years. I think tennis in overall is doing well from what I heard when I talked to the brands. And I think that it's tough to kind of come into that top four. But Yonex came kind of out of nowhere and did some really smart sponsorships. They did great products. I think definitely Yonex makes some excellent products. They, they all do. The products are generally good. My, my biggest issue and biggest pet peeve. Always is the quality control being for more advanced players quite difficult to, to fathom, right? That it's one racket is uh completely different swing weight or seven grams there, at, you know, seven millimeter balance point. It's uh it's frustrating, you know. And I, I test rackets all the time. I get them from retailers, I get them from the brands, my buy them myself, all that stuff. And I see this issue over and over again, and it gets frustrating, especially if you buy one, want to buy three, four and you start with one, then it's going to be tough. Like if you can use the matching service from the brands, like for example, Tennis Warehouse, you use their matching service, you you at least have a list of rackets. Okay, these are close in spec, but if you buy them at different locations, yeah, you will have an issue. Or, or buying rackets like three of them used from some person, you won't get them 100% spot on. I mean, that's maybe being extremely um, diligent about the equipment, but I think it makes sense, especially if you're playing on an advanced level.
1: Definitely. And, and we have pointed out that Yonex is by far the best quality control in the market without a doubt. Like what Yonex is doing is is just almost spot on. Uh, they're the only brands who are still making their, their, uh, top of the range records in Japan. <clears throat> and, uh, we we all know how Japanese people work, and I think Tennis Warehouse was in Japan and and checked out the uh, Yonex um, yeah. factory. You know the quality control is brilliant. The only thing what not a lot of people know, and it's and it's also quite uh, funky to to point it out is that ninety percent of one racket is made by hand. It's it's a tough thing to do a tennis racket. Like I don't even know how how they can sell like fifty quid. You know obviously now the retailers are like oh all, all the all the big brands are now almost two hundred. Plus, for for
0: each racket, I think they're all pretty bad to be honest. Like, I I even think Yonex uh, lost a little bit of edge there, but it's because I can measure swing weights. But still, I I would say they're the the leading the pack. If you go to boutique brands, Angel, Dacor, 10X, I think they can maybe provide a bit of better service because they don't sell the same amounts, they don't have the same distribution model. I just would wish that they put a bit of extra attention to this and and like really said hey we're gonna focus on quality control kind of like Fisher did back in the day like they had this zero tolerance I don't know how successful that was or if people cared but for advanced players or tennis nerds I think it make a big difference when you when you feel like you confidently can just buy a racket and it's going to be pretty close to on spec so I think that helps a lot um, but yeah, Yonex are good. They're very good, and I, I like their frames for sure. And I generally, with weight and balance, they do re- do it really well.
1: And another thought about like what you said, you just mentioned Fisher, and obviously now it's Pacific, and Pacific still has a plus minus one one gram uh, tolerance, which is great. And and I you know Pacific rackets are just brilliant, and Pacific strings are great. And again look at Pacific the only guy who they have as a sponsored player is Bagdaris and, and Bagdaris is obviously no longer on, on on the tour and he wasn't even like a top 10. I, I don't even know maybe he was he was close to the top 10 when he was playing the, the Aussie open final. And and back to the basic what I was what I was saying is that like without sponsorship it's just really hard. Like no one plays with Angel or Angel and it's just uh, such a shame as well. And actually, I have to say that Dunlop is now sponsoring pretty, pretty cleverly. If if you look at like Popperin, you you look at Kitzmanovic, uh, you look at Draper, it's it's actually a pretty good young core what they have. I wouldn't say they are like the not a sinner or an acras, but they can definitely be a top tenner. All all three guys, even Popperin, I, I do believe that Popperin has a massive game, and and if he actually gets used to to his racket it could be a really, really good steal from, from Head.
0: It's good to see that they're making some strides, but I, I also believe in sponsorships. Uh, like when I used to work uh, for Betson Group in the past, like we, we did some sponsorships with football teams, tennis tournaments, and all kinds of athletes. And you usually see that that makes a difference. Sometimes it's very hard to measure, so you have different sides of the marketing spectrum. Like some some people will say, you know, I don't believe in, like, in this kind of brand marketing because you can't track it. I only want to do digital marketing because that's trackable. And some people don't really believe in digital marketing. They think it's throwing money in the ocean unless you do it with some more brand activation. And I think it's a combination that has to be done. You have to do activation digitally and with, with good target marketing. But you also need to have your brand seen on billboards or by players or teams uh, for the general sports fan to to actually see the brand. Uh, I think that's super important. Or with influencers now. Now you can actually use influencers. But a lot of these brands, they don't use influencers as much as they could or in the right way. So I think there's a lot of improvement that could be done there.
1: Oh, definitely. And I think there's, there's so much which can be done uh, with some newer ideas. Uh, what happened with Dunlop and, and just a, another thought about them. They, they were bought by, by uh, Strixon, but Strixon has a, has a sort of, I, I don't uh, uh, 100% know, I, I should have checked this out. Obviously, they have the, uh, the tires, the Dunlop tires, and I think it's uh, the Strixon also has uh, a massive uh, tire uh, industry. But I know that Strixon is 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 massive in golf, and they are one of the biggest golf brands. Dunlop is one of the biggest brands in the world. My favorite ball is still the Dunlop Fort. I think it's a brilliant ball. Obviously, there's there's a lot of uh, lot of tournaments which which still use the Dunlop Bowls. But if you look at the brand, you you always if you see the logo, you know that it's Dunlop. Although that. That logo has been there for thirty years. <laughs> I don't know what that. It would be. It it wouldn't be a bad idea to to maybe have a an updated logo. I don't know which which would be um, like what Babylon did. Babylon has a new logo and and that one is is i think it's 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 a lot nicer cleaner the same with technifiber technifiber has a new logo which they introduced uh, two years ago all these things are are pretty interesting and what i was um uh, writing my my dissertation about was brand awareness uh, raising of brand awareness and it's not something which you can necessarily measure it's more about like word of mouth and what people do believe in, and what what they like, and what they what they want to believe. In many ways, you know, you don't really see a lot of advertising, for example, in the TV about like big brands. Only in like Tennis Point, you you see Tennis Point on on your sport, and and you see uh, Tennis Nuts quite a bit around, and and you see a few bits and bobs. And and when you when you surf around um, either on Instagram or Facebook, you obviously you you come across. Uh, all these these bigger portals where you can you know where where you can buy buy gear tennis gear, but there's so much to be done in marketing I think which which can raise brand awareness for these brands.
0: Yeah, and it goes back also to what you can do with the sport of tennis. I think you can like I, we talked about first podcast. I think we talked about like the idea of maybe creating a European league or a world league or something where there's team matches and you can actually follow these club teams and they can like buy or have players that the biggest pros. And that could kind of inject some extra energy into tennis. Uh, instead of always having these ATP 250s everywhere that people travel around to, they could have uh, that coupled with this cool league, Euroleague, or whatever. It uh, could be interesting, definitely worth considering. I think everything that, that could help tennis grow uh, instead of maybe doing this UTS and stuff that we also mentioned before the Ultimate Tennis Showdown. I definitely believe that uh, there are lots to be done in terms of uh, of brands and branding when it comes to tennis. And I, I do agree that the, the logos could be updated. I think there's like Head, Wilson and Dunlop, they will have the same logos now for quite a few years. I mean, they're not bad logos and I I am a big believer in like brand heritage, but sometimes a little bit of a renewal could help. And I I think when you see that Strixon gets into Dunlop, the whole brand starts living again. They have new strategies They create new, better products because Dunlop made some not so great rackets before. And then when Strixon came in, uh, they started making very good rackets again because back the, before, you know, 20 years ago, Dunloper were one of the big brands. They were making great rackets. Head had also this downturn in, in the, how the products were perceived and, and like they were not really right with the graphene. And then, you know, five, six, seven years later, they're suddenly on top again. So you will have that up and down, but sometimes you just need some new energy and like, like cost you reinvigorated Technifiber. And you see what that has done, right? Money some new thinking, some of the right people, you know, that can change anything. So uh, I think it would be interesting to see if there's going to be more of this kind of collaborations or just some like purchases, like some, some big brands buying other brands and so on.
1: It would be quite interesting to see like if, if I don't know, Adidas would buy vocal, let's say, because yeah. obviously, you know, Adidas was a, OK racket. Yamaha rackets were absolutely brilliant, apparently, and they just disappeared. Also, what I wanted to say is that before Technofiber, there was Major uh, or Mayol, if if I would say it in French, and they were absolutely horrific rackets. They were like falling apart by just playing. My, my best man had uh, one of these rackets and it literally just fell into like two pieces. Just by playing. He, he wasn't throwing it anywhere. It, it was just like disintegrating. It was really funny to see. But yeah, uh, Technofiber records are now really, really making a mark. Well done to Salisbury as well. Because if you think about it, out of the four big titles, uh, two went to Technofiber players.
0: Yeah, it's true. It's true. They won the doubles. Uh, who were then? Siniakova and Krejčíková won the women's doubles. Like they made the yeah. So that uh,
1: yeah, you're right. In in three sets, it was it was Krejčíková and Siniakova. Uh, they they beat Townsend and McNally. Uh, they were up. Um, the first set was six uh, three to Townsend and McNally. That's why I just got confused. But you're right. I know that Krejčíková is playing in full gear. Like her shoes and 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 clothing and everything, it's quite interesting to see that because obviously Chilich has the that uh, full gear. Quite a few brands do that. Like if you if you look at Rude, he's full Yonex. If you look at uh, Chilich, he's full Head. There's quite a few guys who who use uh, the shoes of, of of their of their uh, record brands. Like we, we talked about the banana shoes of of yeah, So Wilson,
0: yeah. it's up to the player in the end. Like if they are open to switching shoes because a lot of them have like very specific shoe preferences and they say hey you don't have a shoe that i like or i already have an existing shoe contract with nike and it works well and it's going to be for three more years or whatever they can't go all in on that uh, otherwise yeah yonex seem to be quite adamant that the player also plays in yonex apparel if they use a yonex racket i mean i i'm not sure Hurkach is using yonex i think so no? yes
1: yeah yeah yeah, uh, you're right yeah, man. he's full yonex as well yeah
0: yeah, stand-up man her catch. Uh, I guess Naomi Osaka. She doesn't wear Yonix. I would. No, guess. she's in Nike.
1: She is one of the best earning. Uh, female athletes Uh, i think she was last year she was earning the most like 80 million plus from like endorsements never too easy to underestimate the japanese market because you know kei nishikori he was earning fortunes and he was never better than like top five i don't think it made sense for him to to be in uniqlo because obviously uniqlo is japanese so that was that was a good good bat from from him and uh, and yeah, the Japanese market is just absolutely insane.
0: One of the questions that came to my mind or interesting thought is like, how far do you have to fall to be uninteresting to a brand? Like, let's say Osaka doesn't win any more slams and she's slowly kind of falling apart a little bit in tennis terms. I mean, we talk about Jeannie Bouchard, you know, she yeah, yeah. was like great looking got huge sponsors she got to i think finals or semi-finals in all the slams yeah like she M7. was in the final i think yeah yeah amazing year in 2014 if i remember correctly and then you know didn't do much after that and more like a kind of a socialite girl or someone who's who's just doing it in, in the brand sense you know and making money through instagram or whatever and then you wonder like how far does someone need to fault for the brand to be hey you know this is not really working out for us anymore you know you're not being seen on the top stages or whatever
1: yeah i think with osaka she has a lot of leeway uh i think with her it's it's almost going to be forever so you know i i think nike actually signed her up to like 10 years i don't know the the exact number but because they're aware of the japanese market and how nike does their sponsorship is just insane literally the the best ever they became the brand who they are because of jordan so they they followed that heritage and that is working the charms but that's an interesting question and if you look at like karatsev uh, last year, he wasn't he wasn't playing with any any sponsors. I remember that he was wearing the same uh, Adidas um, shirts and I don't know Nike shorts, and he was in like Asics um, shoes. And, and and that was that was quite funny to see for for like he was playing a top ten season last year. Like he he was the COVID kid. One criticism about the Hungarian players actually is that they don't look into what they can utilize uh, with the sponsorships. And, you know, we, we talk about it that I, I, was, I was pretty much engaged with these guys who are now top 100, top 200. There's, there's two guys now in the top 200, Fabian Morojan, who I mentioned, and, and John Borpiroz. You might have seen it last year on Futuric. Uh, that's the RK, which is a Hungarian brand. It was absolutely like just white and black stuff. Now they're like mixing it up a little bit, but it's yeah, a I've Hungarian them, yeah. brand. And now they're like doing this sort of a castor, but in Hungary. So they're like sponsor, trying to sponsor everyone, like, you know, the Federation and all that. And there's a massive money injection behind them. But, you know, if if you look at the big brands and you look at like, we talked about Dama Galfi, uh, who went to the second round, sorry, third round in the US. And, and she won two rounds in dubs as well. So she she won four matches uh, altogether. She's actually sponsored by Dunlop. And she is playing in because she likes the Nike stuff, but she's not sponsored because she she has a different shoe um, manufacturer. So I don't know she was playing in Mizuno and all that. So out of all the bigger, there's four girls now who are in top uh, 150 in Hungary, and only two of them have sponsorships. And I know that only one of them, uh, Anna Bondar, uh, she has Mizuno uh, apparel, and that's and that's that. What I would definitely advise them is that management is is so vital and that's that's going to be your next podcast episode about management yeah. and you know what whenever you talk about this uh european league of of tennis i'm i'm just having goosebumps i would love that idea i i really do and and i don't know if, if that was just your idea or if you've heard it that there's something in the making but it would be so good
0: no no it's it's my own idea kind of because i i I just think that there's a missed opportunity there when they do this Bundesliga and the French league and it it's like interesting but and they get some top strong players it's not really globally interesting so if you can get like the top top and they have kind of european teams then it, you get this champions league vibe if you can get that in tennis I think you can do a lot because a lot of tennis players like to play in teams and it's more fun in many ways to play in a club team or any kind of team format uh, you have other people to cheer on and other people to back you. And it creates more of a vibe. You know how Davis Cup used to be back in the day. Like it used to create such a strong vibe in audiences and stuff. So I think there's something for team tennis. It uh, shouldn't be a team sport, but it, there should be more team formats, I think, that utilize that team capacity of tennis. I think that's that's important.
1: I wanted to ask a question of you because uh, obviously we talked about the coaching and and now the trial is almost up, And I just wanted to have your take on it. On, on what you thought about how it worked in the U.S. Because for me, it wasn't actually that bad. Um, I thought it would be a lot worse. I sort of didn't mind it. I know that Tim hendman doesn't like it. And I agree with his stance is that, you know, obviously tennis it should be an individual sport and it shouldn't be held by a, an outer source and all that. But to be fair, it was quite funny that, to to hear that that it's not like, you know, basically just like calm down and that sort of thing which which was coming out of the boxes it was quite a good interaction between like Akaraz and his his uh box and and we didn't see TT plus for that long. I wouldn't go with it still, but it was quite a pleasant surprise for me.
0: Didn't really notice it that much. I think that was a positive thing. Like because as soon as you have a rule that everybody needs to follow, that it's kind of on the gray zone of things. Like you have to check what is he actually saying. Is this guy saying more than come on? You see what is he talking about? He's speaking another language. It becomes this thing, you know, that it's like is it cheating or is it not cheating? And then when they kind of open the door and say, hey, okay, now you can just speak. And we don't give a shit, right? And I think that was not too bad either. That's kind of my feeling. I, I wasn't disturbed by it. I, I do agree that tennis is an individual sport, but it didn't feel like it wasn't an individual sport. It wasn't like so imposing or, or so much in the way. I do think that when you get down to players who are top 10 and bringing their coaching team, and then you have guys that are 200 who has no coach that might, might be an issue but i mean look at nick Kieros. he doesn't need a coach it seems like he just comes in and yeah, plays anyway just... not a bad trial i don't think I, I noticed too much of a negative thing but i can understand the players that they would feel like they're playing against the whole team of people suddenly instead of playing just just one guy who might be spiraling or might be in a bad mood and he's just throwing away the match but it's also tough even with coaching to change so much in a person's mind like if someone is getting really negative Someone shouting from the stance, I think it's quite hard to turn around. I think it's like you you need to kind of find your own way to battle your demons. You know, it doesn't matter what your coach says. It could be, of course, a technical thing, like okay, you have to go go to the net, play these net points. Yep. I mean, Alcaraz, for example, super impressive how he kept going to the net. I mean, he lost one point, he saved set points, but with net play. And it's not something you see from a lot of players that they don't dare to go and, and play the, uh, such an important point in such an aggressive way. I don't know if, if uh, Ferrero has said anything or if he's just like this strong mentally because he just took the initiative. And even though it didn't work once, he still went on the second point and did it again and it worked. So that shows his mental Fortitude, or the great coaching of Ferrero, but but who knows?
1: He's absolutely brilliant than that, and and now we can after after that like really long one hour detour, we can actually go back to to uh, to praising uh, Akras because I think how he approached this match, even with his um, buddy's limitations, because he it could be seen that he he wasn't moving as freely, and I talked about it before that I I think it it, it was it was quite quite visible this time. He has one of the best volleys in the game at the moment, if not the best. But you know what I was really, really pleasantly surprised on how well Rude was volleying. He was coming to the net quite a few times and his forehand volleys were so like seamlessly going to the corners, it was great to see. And it's sort of a little bit of a comeback of a serve and volley. I'm happy as anyone because um, both players were hitting 70 plus percent for serves. Yeah, I know that their serves are not like the biggest. They're not like a whore catch or not like an Eisner or not like uh, a Kyrgios. But their serves are pretty effective and, and it's pretty good. You know, it wasn't like one forties and one thirty eight miles per hour, but it was like a constant one twenty, 120, one twenty five, which is which is pretty solid and it was great to see the variety of tennis cuz when you when you look at like you know all these great matches from the back of the court what Nadal and Djokovic did and obviously that when they have to they go into the net and, and obviously they try to finish the point it, it was just great to see that there's a lot of variety now in tennis it was a great spectacle yesterday
0: I think, yeah, that, that it brings tennis to, to its best. When, when you have players that actually play the whole whole court, they play different styles, they can move in between the styles. I think this is how tennis has changed. Like the, You need to be able to do everything today to get the upper hand on your opponent. You need to play strategically smart, you need to be mentally strong, and you need to be able to mix it up. You can't just play two-dimensional like David Ferrer, he runs around on the back of the court. And uh, that's why I, I was so impressed by Rude that he could actually bring this to his game because he was looked at like a clay quarter back in, you know, just a year ago or so. And suddenly he's in the final of the US Open. He's playing excellent volleys. Like you said, I saw that a few times. I was just very impressed. Like, wow, he's been working so hard and he's he just seems to add like a one more layer to his game and it was it was funny how uh, ferrero described alcaraz how much of his potential has he covered and he said he's at 60%, 60%. yeah so scary. i think there's yeah it's scary for the other players but it, it also shows maybe that rude maybe he's he's at 80 i don't know but there's so much more to be done with most of the players that most of the up and coming like sinner they have so much more to improve that that's going to be great for tennis in the future, you know, because it's like the modern player is now here. kind of.
1: It's going to be great for tennis. The only thing which is not going to be good is, is for Zverev and Tsitsipas. (laughs) These kids are here because like Djokovic, you know, he's, he's one of the goats, obviously. So when he's going to come back and obviously now the, the rumor is that he's going to play uh, down under, which is good. You know, that's, that's his, that's his best slam. And, and, you know, he, he obviously really wanted to go last year, this year. And and it's good for tennis again that if he's back in the mix, the velocity and and the unbelievable strength of these shots and how they move around the court, I think it's a level above of the GOATs and how they approach tennis like 10 years ago. Yeah, maybe now at the moment. Like I don't think Rafa played a bad match against TFO, but but we talked about it that TFO was lights out. And TFO was lights out for large parts of the Acaraz match as well. But if you look at all these all these 20 four 23-year-old kids and how they approach on this super fast hard court and how they played the game. It, it was crazy to see all the finesse and, and you know, a drop shot after there was an amazing uh, lob and and then they were bullying and then they were like, you know, a tweener here, a tweener there. How Akaraz can hit like behind his back and, and how he's running back for the lobs and and sliding into a shot, and it's a perfectly, it's a perfect forehand or a perfect backhand. I think it's just a cheat. We we were never taught these things.
0: No, but I think it's it's a part of everything, right? It all evolves, and I think the evolution of the tennis player is here. I think the evolution was Federer, and then it was Rafa, and then kind of Novak with the new style and and more dynamic movement and a different way of approaching flexibility, the way he stretches. And now it's time for the new guys. Like they have the flexibility, they have the explosive movement, they have the power from the back of the court. They have more of a complete game thanks to the GOATs because they kind of show the way. But now it's time to bring in the next generation. I mean, the GOATs have been around for so long now. I, I think we're absolutely ready for new, exciting players, Sinner, Alcaraz, all these guys, like even guys like Tiafo to break through and be more important. I think it will be tough for uh, for Tsitsipas and Sverev as an example because they haven't broken through. I mean, Medvedev he already has a slam, so he's a bit more dangerous in that respect. Sverev and, and Sitsipas they haven't broken through that kind of goat barrier, and I think that is gonna hurt them. I think they will be tough to win a slam for them now with the youngsters coming. You know, they're they're young guys coming. Like below Alcaraz age as well. So now it's tennis is, is moving rapidly in a new direction. And to keep up is not easy. We should see even more spectacular tennis, hopefully.
1: And that's that's the that's the thing. That's that's just great to see when Federer was was sort of fading out. Everyone was like absolutely freaking out. Like, what's gonna happen now? Like, oh wow, I'm not gonna watch tennis because Federer is not gonna play anymore. And that's the same thing about Rafa, that's the same thing about Novak. And we both are like massive Rafa fans, but it's just so much easier to watch Alcaraz as well than Rafa in a way because you know Rafa has all his all his theatrics in terms of like what he does with the bottles, what he does before a serve, and that sort of thing. And it's not an easy thing to watch. But when you watch uh, Carlos, it's just so smooth. Everything what he does is just smooth. Great yeah. to see,
0: and a great way to end the podcast. I think it we got full circle. Started with Alcaraz, ended with Alcaraz, and I think it's the the new path of tennis for hopefully years to come because he's an exciting guy to watch. And and I think many of us are huge fans. Thanks, Dennis. Absolutely. Long combo today. Thank you very
1: much, Jonas. And uh, take care and play some tennis.
0: Yes, I won't forget that.
1: (laughs) Cheers, mate.